couple of weeks here in Gunnison, I think, have been pretty exciting. We've had the, uh, the fireworks and Cattlemen's Days and the parade. We've been having all these events. It's been really great. Yesterday, we were at the parade, and um, the fun thing about the parade is you get to see everybody you know, and people are walking, and uh, some of our neighbors are walking in the parade, and the whole time, if you're in the parade, you know, you're handing out candy, and our neighbors were holding a banner. They clearly did not have any candy, so I started yelling, my kids want some candy. They said, we don't have any candy. I said, candy! And so then everyone's like, candy! It's like, I don't have any candy. You're making my kids cry. <laughs> Somebody across the street threw a piece of candy to us. It was great. Like, all right, that's a community right there. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start Acts. And the Acts is this great beginning to the church. And we're going to start with chapters 1 and 2 today. But before we do, I want to share a story with you. Um, a while ago, my family and I, uh, we took a trip to California to go to the beach and just to play. We're there on the beach, and the girls, of course, can't get out of the water, and I can't get out of the sand. I love playing in the sand, and I have a shovel. So I start digging this hole in the sand, and as I'm digging, this older guy comes by. He's got this incredible accent, which I'm about to butcher, so bear with me. What are you doing there? I'm digging a hole. That's great, and he's so enthusiastic. Why are you doing that? Well, it's just kind of fun to dig a hole. And I'm digging the hole. He goes, wow, what do you do for a living? Well, I dig a lot of holes, actually. (laughs) And you're on vacation digging a hole. Yeah, but I come from Gunnison, Colorado, and it's a whole bunch of rocks with some dirt in between. This is fun. Digging. He's like, oh, so he begins to tell me all about his life, and I'm digging a hole, and he's talking and talking. My name's Charles Siegel. It's nice to meet you, Charles. I'm an international composer. Cool. That doesn't mean much to me. And he starts to tell me about how he's worked with Oprah and and Tom Selleck and Michael J. Fox. I told Oprah not to do this one gig. She was going to lose millions, and she did. I was right. On and on and on. 20 minutes later, I'm still digging, and he goes, wow, look at that hole. I've been here jabbering, and you've been digging a hole. Look at the size of that hole. It's amazing what man can do. And he starts to tell me about all these incredible things that he's done and things that he's seen people do. And then he says, what's the most incredible thing you've ever seen man do? And I didn't think very long about it. I said, well, I can tell you, the four most incredible things that I've ever seen that I was so moved by what I saw that I couldn't help but cry. And he got ready for something neat. And I said, the first time I saw my wife walk down the aisle to me, towards me, and the time I saw my three daughters be born. And he went, he was waiting for me to tell him something neat like the automobile or man on the moon. told him about my family. And he goes, you're the real deal. So I just kept digging the hole. (laughs) The rest of the time, he started, tell me about your family. And then every person who walked by, you wouldn't believe what this guy said. And he had to tell him about my story. It It was the most bizarre thing in the world. But it's incredible. We think about all the things that man has done. 
It's pretty neat. And it doesn't compare to what God has done for us. Before we get into Acts, Jesus said in John 7, 38 and 39, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. And by this, Jesus meant his spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. You see, the Holy Spirit is the completion of our salvation. The Holy Spirit is the power in our message. He is the words in our prayers and in our songs. He is the hope in our heart. He's the sadness that we carry when we see a wrong suffered or an injustice. The Holy Spirit is the strength that we have day in and day out to endure. If you were a rancher or a farmer, the Holy Spirit would be the sweet green grass in your field. But sadly, so many people, especially Christians, what we do is we spend our entire lives trying to fill ourselves up with living water on our own accord. I'm going to fill myself up with living water and contentment and life the best way I know how, with my own knowledge, with my own ability, with my own strength, with my own understanding. I'm going to fill my life up with living water, with the message of the cross, in my own timing. I'm going to do it my way. We do the Christian life our way. And what we have are, are a whole bunch of Christians and people who are living this Christian life without fuel in their car, without the Holy Spirit, without this gift that God has given you and I to be that living water. And what we end up doing is we end up digging this hole with great intentions, but it's just a hole What we have in Acts 2 is the beginning of Jesus fulfilling His work in us so that we would not have to live life trying to do it on our own. And as a Christian, sometimes I have to remind myself that I haven't just been afforded the message of the cross, but I've been afforded the power of the cross as well. I don't have to do this in my own strength and in my own timing. And that's what we learn about in Acts 1 and in Acts 2. Now, I'm going to briefly skip a little bit of Acts 1 and, and, and go into Acts 2, but I'm going to touch back on Acts 1 because they tie together. But I'm going to read Acts 2, 1 through 4 here, the beginning. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. My grandfather used to have these awesome barbecues. And at one of these barbecues, the parents were off doing parent things and me and the other cousins were off doing younger cousin things. And uh, the barbecue was still going. And my brother, who apparently is a heck of a salesman, said, Hey, Jake! You heat these rocks up and cook them, you can eat them. Fair enough. So I take this rock and I put it on the grill. Make sure you roll it around. Cook it evenly. This is Emerald Lagasse here. So I'm cooking my rock. I take that thing and I put it in my mouth. And burn my mouth. My wife says that was the dumbest thing I did two weeks ago. I disagree. <laughs> 
So here you have this incredible experience that happens with the disciples. Jesus said, right before his ascension in Acts 1, wait for the gift that my Father will send you. That's what he leaves them with. Wait for the gift. What's it going to be? Is it going to be a hot rock? Is it going to be a car? Is it going to be a house? What, what is this gift that Jesus has given us that we're supposed to wait for? Now, the day of Pentecost was 10 days after the ascension of Jesus. And I know for myself, I'm not a very patient person, and I have a very short attention span. And so for me, waiting is going to be really hard. And the fact that the disciples were waiting not only one day or two days, but 10 days tells me that what they had with Jesus, the encounter that they had with Jesus, was genuine. It was real. Because I bet if I was to tell any one of us in here, if I met you on the street and I said, hey, wait right here on this street corner. I have something for you. And then I left. And then three hours later, if I had not shown up, I bet most of you would have left by then. But they waited around not one day or two days, ten days, because they knew that something was about to be filled from the Scriptures. Now, maybe for, for you or for me, there's a situation in your life where you feel like you're waiting on God. I know for me, I, I'm going in this time where I feel like I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting for God to do something. And maybe we're waiting on God to do something in our marriage. Maybe we're waiting for God to do something in our finances. Maybe we're waiting for God to do something in our health. But we find ourselves in the spot where we're waiting on God, just like the disciples were, and we're ready for him to do something. And then in Romans 5, 6, we're reminded that in just the right time, when we were still sinners, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, at just the right time, God died for us. Christ died for us. And there's, there's, there's a reminder in there that not only do does God do great things, but when we wait for Him, He does them at the right time. And that's what's happened with the disciples here. The Holy Spirit's come. Great things are happening. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Bishop's Castle. Anybody heard of Bishop's Castle? A few of you have. Bishop's Castle is this great little thing in Colorado that most of us don't know about. It's a castle that this guy, his name I believe is Jim Bishop, started building in the late 60s. It is literally a monster. It's 160 feet tall. It's got towers and big metal dragons. It's in this little town called Rye, Colorado. I think, as the story goes, his, his son actually died in the process of him building the castle. I went there when I was in high school. My, my family took me, my dad. And it was fun. It was neat. It was totally incomplete. A while ago, we thought, well, let's take the girls to go see this castle. So we drive over to Rye, Colorado, it's a couple hours, and we go and see it, and here is this incredible castle in the middle of nowhere on the top of this mountain. And it's so tall that most people won't even climb up the towers because it's, it's tiny little confined spaces, there's no railing. I mean, he doesn't even have windows in it, so you're up 140, 130 feet, and you can just flop right out the side. And so people see that, and they just go back down the stairs. Well, we're there, and we've driven all this way, and we're checking out this castle, and our kids are excited, and there's people all over the place, and then I look over, and here's our little girls, and they're over here playing in the dirt. Castle. It's got a dragon. 
and they're over here playing at third. What are they doing? So I go over, and my wife's over there, and they found a dead hummingbird. And they're playing with that. And they're not just playing with it, they're fighting over it. I saw it first. It's mine. And they're poking at it with a stick. There's a castle. It's got dragons. They're fighting over the bird. And I think so often that would be that would be me. Here I am waiting and expecting for God to do something and he's right there in this great big magnificent castle behind me but I'm so fixated on this dead little bird that's right in front of me that I'm completely missing out on what God is doing. John the Baptist told us this in John 3.16 or Luke 3.16. John answered them all, I will baptize you with water but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize us with fire. Why fire? What does that mean? What does that mean? Because John was telling us that Jesus was going to baptize us with the sanctification and the authority to not only know his word and to be changed by his word, but to take his word out. And it's interesting to note that God uses fire in lots of different places in the Bible. On Mount Sinai, He used fire to validate uh, the Old Testament law. At Pentecost, He used fire to validate the coming of the Holy Spirit. We're going to keep reading here in Acts 2. How many of you made it to the parade yesterday? A few of us did. It's becoming a family tradition for us at these little Gunnison parades. The very, very best part of the parade is the little guy at the very end. And I, I don't think people think he's part of the parade, but I've decided that the one guy at the end of the parade is part of the parade. He's got the most important part of the parade. I think we've got a picture of this, um, that guy. Now, I don't know if you're supposed to clap and cheer for that guy, but I do. Because he goes behind all the horses and all the dirty kids, and he cleans up. So that's my favorite part of the parade. And so we always cheer. We're like, yay, street sweeper. And people are thinking, okay, street sweeper. So next time the street sweeper goes by, let's cheer for the street sweeper. That guy just had a really boring job, and then all of a sudden people are cheering for him. It's great. So the idea behind this is the street sweeper is part of this big festival that we've been having in Gunnison. The same thing is happening right here in the book of Acts. There is this great big festival that's going on. Now remember, what's happening is in Jerusalem, they're celebrating the festival of harvest, Pentecost. It's one of three annual festivals of Thanksgiving. And so there's people from all over the world that have come to Jerusalem for this festival. Here in Gunnison, I don't know if you've noticed it, but over the last several days, between the 4th of July and Cadman's Days, we've had people from all over the place, and it's been a lot of fun. So look what happens here in Acts 2, verse 5. We'll keep reading. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Both 
uh, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show you wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is awesome. What a great message. And you know what's amazing? Is Peter is a fisherman. He's not schooled. He's not educated. He doesn't have the book of Joel memorized. But he's full of the Spirit of God. And he's, so he's able to stand there before all these people and tell them, this is what God is saying to all of you. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Jesus was crucified at Passover. And he ascended to heaven 40 days after that. The Holy Spirit came 50, 50 days after his resurrection. So what's happened is all these things have happened with Jesus. There's all these godly Jews everywhere. And all of a sudden they start to take note of this thing that is happening amongst these followers of Jesus. For any of you who might have been at the fireworks, I don't know if any of you made it there or a couple of you there, or maybe you watched them from your house. We love going to the fireworks. They were awesome this year, except for the ones that got wet and didn't do anything. They weren't quite as awesome. But the rest of them were awesome. So we're at the fireworks, and last year, our little baby girl, our youngest, we're watching the fireworks, and she fell asleep. Okay, that's cool. This year, she's two years old, she's watching the fireworks, and she starts going, twinkle, twinkle, little star. I'm thinking, oh, that's great. She's having a lot of fun. She's singing to the fireworks. The best part of the fireworks, I think, is watching all of the people before the fireworks start. There are people from all over the place. And you watch and you see people from from town and people that you work with and people you go to church with. And then you see people that you don't know. And I love it because there's people that are um, they're all dressed up and they're Fourth of July stuff. And there's people that aren't and there's people that have more clothes on than they do. And there's people that are freezing to death because they didn't realize it rains in Gunnison every afternoon uh, through summer. There there were people that were um, having a blast and my favorite part is watching the people who are really disgruntled. They were not happy to be there. It would have been some of, some of my family members who were not happy to be there, but they came because they're supposed to come and have fun with the grandkids. So that's what they did. <laughs> Having fun. This is great. The best part, they block off the streets, you guys all know, and there's a guy on a, on a microphone I don't know if anyone knows who he is. And there's speakers that you can hardly hear. And he says, uh, folks, we're going to sing the Pledge of Allegiance. And nobody can even see the flag. My favorite part of the fireworks is always this. Everybody stops what they're doing. And they all put their hand over their heart. 
And everybody in one accord starts saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And I love just listening to people sing it because, or say it because my favorite part is always coming up. Because you have people from every walk of life that are right there, and all of a sudden, at one time, and you guys know what I'm talking about, they make a declaration. One nation under God. It is the most incredible thing to hear because everybody stops And in that moment, they're of one accord. And I think that's a lot like what's happening right here in the book of Acts. There are people from all over the place. They're celebrating. And all of a sudden, they stop at one accord because something has drawn their attention that brings them all together. And it's the Spirit of God. And He captivates them far more than fireworks because it's something that lasts an eternity. Thousands of people. I think our church as well is just like that. We are made up of a whole bunch of different people. We all in here come from different backgrounds. We all have different experiences and different stories. We all have, uh, we're different races. Um, We have different educations. We have different political views. We have differences in our size and in what we eat. We are a whole bunch of different people. But we're gathered together right here as one body because the Holy Spirit has enabled every one of us to do that, to be a part of that. He has drawn us together, and we are one. One of my most favorite passages, I think about it a lot, and it's encouraging to me. It's John 17, 20 and 21. What's happening here is Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying for his disciples. This is before he's going off to be crucified and he is in a moment where he has got anguish deep within his soul. But Jesus still takes time to pray for his disciples. And this is what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Right here, Jesus is taking a moment not to pray for his disciples, but to pray for you and me. He's literally praying for us personally. He's interceding to the Father. He's thinking about us. And he's saying this, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, just as I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There is purpose and intention behind the Holy Spirit so that the entire world will know about the love of God, so that everyone will see his goodness. And that's exactly what's happening right here. I think we all could agree that one of our greatest troubles in the world, in in society, in between countries, and even in churches, is division. Well, I don't agree with that. And so we divide ourselves instead of letting God bring us all together as one. Now for the disciples too, the Holy Spirit coming and this whole entire event happening was a really big deal. And the reason why was up until this point they had a leader. And things are great when you've got a leader. And the leader's saying, ta-da, we're going this way. It's easy. Their leader's gone now. And I know for me, probably one of my first thoughts if I lost my leader would be to go, oh great, there goes our guy 
Jesus has ascended to heaven. That's our guy. Now what are we supposed to do? We just lost our guy. And then God brings in the Holy Spirit. He brings in the Holy Spirit to ice the cake. Not only do you have salvation and redemption and this message to share with the world, but I'm giving you the authority and everything that you need to do it. Because Jesus made a whole bunch of promises to you and I. And he made a bunch of guarantees. Life's going to be tough. Trials and tribulations are going to come. The whole world needs to know about me through you. I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How is Jesus going to do that if he is not here? Through the Holy Spirit. And so for the disciples, this is an incredible moment. As a pastor and as a ministry leader in the past, I've always had this struggle when you lose someone that was key in your church, a a key leader, a key ministry person. When you lose somebody, my first thought is always like, oh man, now what are we going to do? They were leading that thing. Where are we going to go from here? Every single time, whether it was a small position in the church or it was a family that decided they needed to go somewhere else, and it kills you inside, and every single time, God always brought in new people. And every single time we lost a leader in his ministry and in his body, God always, every time, brought up a new leader. He was always faithful to his body. I think as a church, that's a reminder for us too. God is always going to bring in that next person that we need. And it's exciting because we get to be here and be a part of it. God brings in the Holy Spirit. Community church. We get to be a part of God raising up another person. Acts 20, verses 40 through 47. Sorry, Acts 2, verses 40 through 47. Peter's continuing on and he's telling his disciples, or all these people, all these things. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. What I love here is not did just the Holy Spirit come, but He came with power. And He brought thousands of people immediately into the church. Every one of us is going to leave here today and we're going to go on to different things and different events and different places and different situations. Some easy, some not easy. Some fun, some not fun. And remember this, God has given every single one of us the power of the cross. Not just the message of the cross. I'm going to leave you with a verse before we close here. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Us as individuals and in a church have that freedom should we choose to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us in everything that we do. Let's stand. We're going to form a circle here real quick and, and pray.